Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. On 882 6BR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories, brought to you by Barra and O'Day, doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. My guest in this episode is someone who hails from a place that many people, I dare say, have not even heard of, Grass Patch, which is a little place down near... Esperance, and he's risen through the ranks of Waffle uh, and local AFL and then interstate AFL ranks, uh, and retired about four and a half years ago. But uh, look, I'm giving a couple of clues here. Let's give a couple more. Played a key role in the 2006 uh, all-conquering Eagles premiership side and then finished his career with Collingwood, of all teams. <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment, though. But let's say hello and welcome to Quentin Lynch. Quentin, hello. Hi, Tim. How are we? Thanks Good, thank you. On. How are you? I'm going very well, thank you. Retirement treating you well? Yeah, it is. Busy as always, but uh, no, going well so far. We'll get to your uh, post-playing days a little bit later, but uh, let's go back to Grass Patch. Yeah, what's, so... What's, what's at Grass Patch? Well, there's not much at Grass Patch. Um, I sort of moved there. We moved there when I was 14 to sort of iron the story out a little bit. So before that, I grew up in another little place called Gardner River, which is uh, over closer to Albany. Um, which is even smaller than Grass Patch. So uh, we moved to Grass Patch as a, when I was a 14-year-old as mum and dad changed farms. and um, Farming yeah. family then? Uh, the farming family, yeah. Off, yeah. off a wheat farm, a um, few sheep. Uh, and at Grass Patch, there was, used to be a tavern there when I was there, but uh, there's no longer a tavern. It shut down, oh, but there's a post office. Barely a town there. There's yeah, no, no tavern there. there. Forget only, it. <laughs> might only be about 10 people living in the actual town and probably, you know, obviously the wider community. But, yeah, very small place. Yeah. Good place to grow up, though, down yeah. in the Great Southern. Yeah, it was. I loved growing up on the farm. You know, it was a you know, great time in my life. And, uh, you know, went away to boarding school as a 12-year-old or year eight. But, um, you know, still have a very strong tie to the bush. And yeah. uh, mum and dad are still on a farm and my brother. And, um, yeah, so still got very strong ties to the bush. And would like to get uh, some sort of hand on some land someday. Do you get back down there often? The, yeah, the trip to Grass Patch is obviously seven hours. is a little bit uh, long and um, you need a lot of time up your sleeve. But uh, we, um, yeah, with the farm being only two and a half hours away, it is uh, a lot easier for me to get back there these days. Yeah. Uh, you're growing up on a, on a farm, I imagine it, it keeps you pretty, pretty active. Um, you, you're all expected to sort of get out and muck in. Uh, yeah, definitely. Aren't you even, you know, as long as you're old enough to, yeah. to, to do it and strong enough to do it. You do it. We learned to drive at about seven. seven. <laughs> so uh, once you can do that, you can be pretty useful. So uh, now we're always out and about helping Dad out, doing sheep work, um, yeah. you know, driving tractors and so forth. So it's a really good life to grow up as a kid, I think. Um, would have loved for my kids to do it, but unfortunately it's not going to be the case. But, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a good, you know, probably yeah. a simple life, but a um, very yep. you know, ref- fulfilling one. Do you remember when you first picked up a footy? Oh, yeah, it would have been around that year one sort of 
when I was probably six or so. We didn't have Auskick down there, so you played school footy at school with all your mates. And mm. um, I started playing footy as a year two, but we only had nippers, what they called nippers back then. So mm. uh, year twos played with year sevens in one team. So that was pretty good fun. It probably uh, it was good for a, for a kid like me. I was probably bigger than the average kid and, uh, you know, I got to work my way through the team and, you know, um, you know, there's very fond memories. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned boarding schools. So you're 12 years old uh, and you, you, you ripped away from, from grass patch mm-hmm. or, or not quite grass no, patch. Quite so grass you were, patch, you were yeah. still closer to Albany then, uh, even smaller. Yes. <laughs> uh, up to uh, up to Perth to go to Aquinas. Yeah. What um, sort of a culture shock was that for you? Um, well, I, I had the opportunity, uh, not the opportunity, Mum and Dad asked me if I wanted to go away in year eight. I had four sisters who didn't go away to year ten, so they were pretty dirty that I got to go away in year eight. <laughs> but um, yeah, so they asked me as a twelve-year-old, you know, do you want to go? Are you ready to go? And I, you know, I was definitely ready, and I wanted to go. So it was um, culture shock. Yes, come to the big town, uh, moving away from the farm was probably the hardest thing. Can I ask, why, why were you so desperate to get out of there? Um, I just, I just wanted. To, a, Change of scenery. Yeah, no, more more for sport, to be brutally yeah. honest. I just wanted the opportunity to play a lot of sport and uh, going away to you know, a school where my father went and I knew a fair bit about the school was going to be a great opportunity for me to mm. get amongst um, more kids and, and expand my uh, horizons in all sorts of sports. So that was probably the main reason I wanted to get up there. Mm. It wasn't to leave the farm. Like, that was probably the only thing I really missed. Uh, moving away from mum and dad wasn't too bad. It's, Got used to it after a couple of weeks, and I had a lot of uh, sisters in Perth that were out of school, so you know, had still had a lot of family around. So, but the opportunity to go and play sport, you know, yeah, of all types and against lots of different people, was uh, something I didn't want to give up. And Aquinas has a pretty good track record for churning out uh, good footy players, certainly, doesn't it? Were, were you aware of the of the pedigree? Yeah, of I, the college probably, before you got there. Yeah, I had some good uh, family friends that had gone through the school, and you know, had sort of been around the school a little bit in my early years. So, yeah, I obviously knew. Um, I had a cousin that sort of went through just before I got there who played with Peter Bell, so I knew what the sort of background to the school and their footy yep. was, so uh, that was something that really excited me. Yeah. Um, were you a, a pretty big unit then when you were going through the school ranks as well? I was definitely bigger than the average kid, that's for sure. Bigger than Belly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was a pretty big kid in year eight, and uh, I didn't get any smaller, that's for sure. So, um, yeah. I was probably, in, in some ways I was lucky to be big, but in other ways, you know, I probably grew up being bigger than all the other kids in, when I was down in the bush. And in some ways it probably deterred my development as well because I just got away with, for being, with being big. But yeah. coming to Aquinas and having other big kids around taught me that, you know, it wasn't yeah. going to get me all the way. Was it a tough life being a boarder? Uh, no, I loved it actually. I really, really loved my time boarding school. Um Hey, mum and dad never knew what I was doing, so <laughs> especially in year 11 and 12. Here's your chance then, get it off your chest, <laughs> mum and dad, if you're uh, listening. Um, <laughs> no, I, I really enjoyed it. I, you know, some kids found it really tough, but, um, you know, you just live in, a, in, a, in an environment with 60 or 70 other blokes and you, you always got mates around. And um, So, I, you know, I, I thrived in it really. And mm. as I said, I had four older sisters that were, by the time I got to year 11, they'd all left school and... They live very close to Aquinas, so I could always get out on the weekends to see them and sign me out if I wanted to go out for a weekend. Yeah, and and as far as the high school footy competition goes, uh, you know that cluster of PSA schools often attracted you know very very handy players who went on to play at the highest level. So uh, you were in pretty good company, honing your skills there in that competition. Yeah, it wasn't. You know, I've got a lot of a lot of respect for the competition itself. I, you know, I think it's a very solid competition and. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to go through it a lot of, uh, in, in, just out of my year alone, we had two or three of us got drafted and probably five or six blokes went on to play over 150 games of, you know, Waffle League footy. So we had a very strong team and, um, you know, it was just a great, you know, mm. part of my life and, and, and 
team to be a part of mm. playing school footy. What sort of a student were you aside from footy? Uh, just an average student who probably could have worked a lot harder at his studies. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, you know, I did my T, it was a TE back then and uh, I yep. passed it. So, um, yeah, I could have gone to uni if, if I wished. Um, but to be brutally honest, if I had tried to done a little bit more study, I probably could have done a fair bit better, but uh, that's, that's all common, history now. It's a common story, mate. <laughs> Don't get down on yourself. But at what point, I suppose, did you think, I'm going to give footy uh, my absolute sole attention here and try to make a career out of that? Uh, probably, Penny probably dropped in year 10 and 11. Probably year 10, I started to get noticed in state sides and, and played mm. state 16s footy and then year 11. Um, I didn't have a real good school year of footy in year 11 um, and that was the year I decided that I'd give up rowing, which was pretty much my, my, uh, my the sole reason for stopping rowing was that I thought footy was the path I wanted to take and I needed to concentrate on that more and rowing wasn't helping me. So I put a lid on that and um, just concentrated on my footy. Yep. And then... Post school, then talk us through the, the the drafting process. Yeah, I was. Uh, it wasn't much fun for me. The drafting process, really. Um, you know, I, I played in the old under 18s carnival as, as an eighteen year old. My first year out of school, and was you know an all Australian, picked in the all Australian side. And I think I was the only one of three blokes that didn't get drafted out of that team. Um, so, the draft day was here. It came around, and uh, I was actually on a farm harvesting with my old man back then. And uh, you know, dad was. He, he was nervous as, and I just knew in my in my, my own heart that I wasn't going to get drafted. I had, had had very little interest from any clubs, and so I um, sat on the header and just kept harvesting. And uh, the draft day went and by, and so you're uh, literally out there in the paddock. What with the radio on? Yeah, no, I didn't. Or, even, I didn't even listen to it. Dad went in and listened to it. I just knew that nothing was going to happen, so I yeah. didn't even waste my time. Uh, the Eagles had actually rang me about three days before the draft and said, "Look, we're not going to draft you." Uh, and if no one else does, can you come and train with us? And back yeah. then, you used to have, have a train-on list for rookie-listed players. Yep. So I said, yeah, no worries. So um, yeah, the draft came and went, and uh, nothing happened as I expected. And Dad got pretty grumpy. But uh, the next morning, being a, I think it, was, it used to be on a Saturday then, it was a Sunday morning, I packed up my old Kingswood station wagon with all the, everything I belong, which was not much, and <laughs> drove to Perth and started training Monday morning the Eagles. Yeah, right. And at that point, were you still thinking this is... A good career move for me. Well, or, the only, or the, only of one I had at the moment. <laughs> of doubt starting to circulate uh, in your mind. Um, no, I knew if I put my work in, I still hadn't been picked up. I by mean, you're Eagles. still a young bloke. Then. Yeah, and yeah. I hadn't been picked up by the Eagles. So this is my first year of school. I had to go and train and prove mm. myself. So no, I just knew I had to put some work under my belt and, and you know prove to them that you know I was worthy of a rookie spot. Mm. And, um, I had sort of five weeks, pretty much, to do that before their Christmas break, and uh, I was lucky enough. You know, I did got the work in and um, proved to them that you know, I was worthy of a spot on their rookie list. And mm. that's where it all started. And, and of course, your first year uh, as an Eagle, you, you did get some senior games under your belt? Yeah, I did. Uh, sort of back then, you on a rookie list, you had to be elevated, a bit like you do now. And yep. um, there was a spot came up halfway through the year or someone went on the long-term injury list. And um, I was actually... I was Phil, Phil Reid, is it? Uh, is he it might have been, yeah. yeah. For his knee, yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I think it was Phil Reid who, who, who's uh, unfortunate... Injury circumstances proved to be the opportunity that uh, that you needed. Yeah, like for like, me for Phil. Phil was, uh, <laughs> five foot nothing. Um, I was actually picked to play in the state, the Waffle State game that weekend. That, that Wisher elevated me, and I had to hand that jumper back and uh, you know don the uh, blue and yellow Eagles jumper. Sort of round eleven, I think ish it was. I'm sure, you didn't mind. Yeah, no, yeah. it was uh, yeah, great experience and one I'll never forget. Quinton Lynch is our special guest on this episode of Inspiring Stories. We need to take a break, but after that, we'll get uh, right into your uh, Eagles career, including some of the milestones, uh, the 2006 
Premiership, obviously the standout uh, in that year, Quinton was the uh, leading goal kicker uh, for the club as well. So plenty to come on 882 6PR. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Eagles legend Quinton Lynch is our special guest in this episode. So, Quinton, I think we're in 2002 here. You're getting some, some games with the blue and gold on for the Eagles. Uh, how, how old are you at this point? About 19? Yeah, it would have been 19. 19, yeah. yeah. Uh, looking back on it now, uh, how do you reckon you went? Oh, seems like a long time ago now, but um, uh, yeah, it was an interesting time. Obviously, coming off the rookie list and, and getting those games in early, and um, got dropped just before the end of the year, just for a final. Obviously, I just sort of was finding my feet, but um, yeah, it was ex- it was exciting as a nineteen year old. You know, you, you know, the world was my oyster really, and wherever I wanted to take it. So yeah. um, it was uh, good times, but uh, plenty of learning was going on at the same time. Yeah, I mean. Being part of that that setup, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're you're travelling interstate every other week, uh, playing on grounds you you may never have have played on in front of crowds you would never have seen before. That must be a lot to take on as a it's still a teenager. Yeah, it was, it was. But um, you know, obviously that was the, the path I wanted to choose. So you know, you'd sort of prepared yourself for it. But you know, just little things like you know, the club made me have to go and buy my first mobile phone because they couldn't get hold of me one day and. <laughs> Things like that that, you know, you look back on now and, and you know, the kids of these days would just they wouldn't even be a thought of theirs, really. But no. I still had a pretty much a, oh, not a full-time job, but I was still working probably 25 hours a week too to, you know, make enough money to live because, I, I, you know, I didn't live with a host family a lot. Most yep. kids that got drafted, I sort of lived with my sisters and had to pay my own way and rent and bills and food. So uh, I still worked a fair bit back then too. What were, what were you doing on the side? Um, I was doing roof chipping with mates of mine. So, um, yeah, it's a club that I know that probably wouldn't mean too impressed me walking around <laughs> on top of roofs, but uh, that's uh, w- what worked for me. And, um, you know, they were flexible with their job and so forth. So that was, you know... What Especially I, a, a bloke of your size on a roof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I was very care- very careful. I, I look back on now and I wish I had actually done my apprenticeship with that because yeah. uh, it was something I would have been able to finish throughout my career and yeah. um, it would have been a you know good thing to do. And that, you do see some of the blokes now doing uh, apprenticeships and you know, obviously mm. they take time, but um, it's definitely been nice to come out of the game with a trade. Mm. I suppose, uh, you know, having a, a tall, agile player works down forward and in the back line, but you probably played more of your footy in the back line uh, early days. How did you find the tra- transition uh, up front? Were, yeah. you, were you happy with that? Well, it was another interesting one. So I was playing at West Perth in 2002, and um, for the whole year I was playing centre-half back. So yeah. I've been picked in the state, WA State side as a centre-half back, and then the Dave Wusher put me into the Eagles. He made me play full forward. So um, so I'd done no training as forward. I went in and played 11 games as a forward, and I'd played a lot of forward stuff as a, as a, as a you know growing up as a teenager as well, so that didn't sort of worry me. And then 2003, I never ever got a game. I didn't get one game at the Eagles, and I went back and played forward all year for West Perth uh, and then 2000 and f- uh, at the end of that year my next pre-season I trained as a back and then started 2004 playing centre-half back for about 16 rounds before yeah. I pretty much went back permanently forward sort of late in the 2004 yeah. season so I got thrown around a lot which was probably good for my development you play back and you learn how forwards play and you play when you go forward you know how to try and beat a backman so mm. um, 
Yeah, it's always two ways to skin a cat, isn't it? When you did have to go back and, and, and play a lot more in the waffle after that, you know, racking up double double digits games in, in that first season as a as a rookie, was that was that hard for you to process? Yeah, it was, and I really dropped my dropped my bundle for a long time. Um, when I look back on it, I was probably sooking, and I was sooking, um, and it took a very stern conversation from the then coach, um, our then coach uh, Darren Harris. Uh, he grabbed me at training one night at West Perth and absolutely gave it to me, which I fully deserved, mm-hmm. um, and you know probably pulled me back into line. And from that day onwards, it was the you know the best thing that happened to me, and I started playing some good footy and, and just started to enjoy my footy. And uh, lucky enough, we ended up playing. In, uh, the grand final for West Perth that year yeah. and won it. So um, that was probably a really big turning point in my career, really. Yeah. Um, th- there was an off-field incident as well. I, w- I don't want to go uh, too much into it. But, um, you know, look, it's it's, yeah. it, it's it's on the record that it that it happened. There was a, a drink-driving uh, offence around about 2004, wasn't there? Yeah, that was the next year, yeah. Middle of the 2004 season. I you know, made a very stupid decision as a 21-year-old and uh, drove while... Uh, yeah, got done for drink driving, and it's definitely out there, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> My kids will one day learn about it, and I'll be able to Google it, so um, I can't hide it, that's for sure. Um, but, yeah, and that was, uh, you know, I learned a lot from that as well. And Unfortunately, sometimes you make mistakes in life, mm. and the, the main thing is, that, you know... You learn from Learn them. from them, exactly, and Yeah, something I definitely learned from. You obviously uh, impressed and turned things around, because you came, you know, barnstorming back into the side in 2005, and then 2006, uh, what, 65 goals, which made you the... The leading goal kicker for the West Coast Eagles. Um, very colourful time, of course, as we've come to learn at the West Coast Eagles around that time. How did you fit into the, the setup there? I mean, I, I, again, people have spoken at length and written at length about the culture of the Eagles around that time. So let's not go right into that. But, I mean, who, who were your mates? Where did you fit into the, the social cliques in the in the Eagles? Who were your friends that you kind of saw outside of footy? Because I think people think, you know, if you're not all going to barbecues at each other's house every single weekend, then there's something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's unnatural for all of you to be in each other's pockets mm. the whole time. Who were you Who were you mates with in that club? Well, uh, obviously, um, Daniel Kerr was probably one of my best mates. He was yep. in my groom's bridal party. Uh, yep. I obviously went to school in Aquinas for five years, so we pretty much played footy together for 20 years. So yep. he was a very, very close mate of mine. And, and, and Juddy, and that, he lived with uh, with Daniel for a fair while, so very good mates with them. And but then it was all, you know, the older blokes who were all since retired, but, you know, Coxie and Glassy and Brawny and all of them. We, we all, we all, what made us such a good group is we were pretty tight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we did, uh, you know, look after each other a lot. So it wasn't it wasn't really clicky. I was, you know, I was mates with everyone, and, and still had a really strong group of mates from school outside of footy that kept me really grounded. And I reckon that was as important as anything. But yeah, um, yeah we, we were a very tight unit at, as a club back then, and you know, there has been a lot written about it, and you know, um, but you know, I, I sort of take a grunt with a grain of salt. Everything that gets written about it, no one actually know, you know, no one really knows what went on, and, and we mm. do ourselves. Um, we're happy to you know, back in what we did and we believe you know, as a group we were very tight and that's what made us such a good team and in the end got us to where we wanted to and win yeah. the grand final. The 05 and 06 grand finals will go down as two of the, the all-time great finals and thankfully you were on the right side <laughs> in, in one of those in 06. But let's talk about 05 firstly. Yep. Um, you didn't play uh, that game. In hindsight, they probably could have done with you. Yeah, <laughs> hindsight's a wonderful thing. Um, yeah, no, I was dropped the uh, week before the prelim final. How, uh, how hard was that? 
Yeah, that was tough. That was really tough. I, um, I was. Uh, Did you I, feel like it was deserved? I, I, I don't make excuses. I, I wasn't travelling all that well form-wise. I, um, I was carrying a groin injury that I had to get fixed up at the end of the year, and I was just trying to get to the end of the year, really. Yep. So, um, you know, I was pretty, pretty much, by half time, come half time, I was, I was battling to run. Yep. Um, I did, you know, I thought I, the week off, when I missed the prelim and they won, I th- you know, I wasn't a no, I wasn't no chance of not playing the grand final, but the week up freshened me right up and I, re- and I was ready to go. I reckon I, I could have given the club some some good minutes come that grand final. Mm. Um, but I didn't find out I wasn't, I was in emergency, I didn't find out I wasn't playing. They didn't really make the final decision until about 8.30 on a Friday night. Not, that's mm. when I found out. Um, so it was tough. It was very tough. Um, the toughest thing about it probably the whole day on the grand final day was um, we were asked as uh, as emergencies. They did a real early pre-game warm-up and uh, they asked all us emergencies to train and warm-up with them. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, that's fine, I'll do that. Just so they could sort of, it was a bit of smoke and mirrors going on with Sydney, I suppose, because they hadn't put their final team in yet. Right. Um, and the toughest part about all that was mum, my mum and dad were sitting up in the stands and mum saw me run out and she just assumed I was playing. Yeah. And then obviously we weren't allowed phones in the change room so, and she didn't probably have a mobile back then so I couldn't <laughs> tell her I wasn't playing um, until I, she didn't really realise until I walked up and tapped her on the shoulder and sat next to her and you know, she was pretty upset by all that. But um, yeah, that was probably the toughest moment and obviously watching was you know, nerve-wracking and uh, yeah, not great for the club to lose by a point but you know, from my point of view, I was lucky enough to yeah. redeem ourselves the following year. Get revenge the following year. So did you watch that grand final then in the stands with your folks? Yeah, sat down there with, yeah, with the rest of the you know players from the club that weren't playing. So we had a section up in the stands there. Yeah. Um, tell me about uh, some time you, you spent with a, a mental health coach just to, just to get your, your mind right going into the, uh, the 2006 season. Yeah, we used to have, the bloke used to come, uh, we used to have a, Psychologists come along and just do a bit of mind, mind training and mm. sort of visualization training, and it was more around um, trying to goal kicking and so forth, and, yeah. and um, the actual uh, me- mental state. Pretty much, I was never that sort of stuff. Never really worried me, but more was trying to do visualization of you know goal kicking and uh, trying to take out all the distractions when you when you are having yeah. set shots and goal. Obviously, being a forward and trying to kick goals is uh, is something pretty important, and sometimes it wasn't. Uh, mine wasn't up to scratch, so you'd always try and you know push the boundaries of what you could try and do to make yourself improve, and and you know never you could never sort of turn a blind eye to any you know, uh, you know option you had to try and get better. So I tried all that sort of stuff, and it sort of sometimes some you know works sometimes, but probably wasn't something I ended up keeping up long term. Yeah. So did it make a difference in the? The 06 season? Because obviously, you know, uh, looking back at your stats, 65 goals in a, in a premiership winning side. Um, yeah, it might have made a little bit of difference. Right. I, um, I probably still could have kicked a little bit straight. I think I kicked it just on probably 60% that year. So I had over 100 shots on goals. So mm. um, it's hard, it's a hard one to think back and all the things I've done throughout my career and tried, mm. which, ones, which ones fully work. So you always keep tinkering with different little things. So it's hard to work out exactly which ones... Mm did give you an advantage in which ones were probably a placebo effect, if anything. Did mum and dad get to go to the 06 final as well? Yeah, the whole family was at that one too, so it was, yeah. uh, it was pretty special. Yeah, and, and, you, and you take away memories from that. Obviously, you know, what a moment for the club. It was so emotional, particularly after the year before. But uh, for you, as you reflect on it, what's the overriding sensation that you feel? Oh, it was pretty much relief when the siren went. I was sort of involved in one of the last plays of the game and it yeah. probably wasn't the 
best possession I've ever had in my career. But uh, it was a pretty weird game. You look back, and, I, and honestly, I still haven't watched the whole thing front to back again. Is that right? You still haven't watched it? No, uh, not fully. Um, I probably should one day. <laughs> Uh, it was, a, you know, it was a game. For any reason, you just haven't no, got ready. No, no, I've got it there. Just, was, yeah, just one day my little fellow asked to watch it with me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a game of two halves. Obviously, we were fairly way up at half time, yeah. and, and I sort of kicked all my goals that I kicked for the game in the first half. Yeah, it was, and um, yeah, and then they sort of come storming back, and we sort of hung on. So, uh, which you always knew that was going to happen with Sydney. You just know that it didn't matter how far you got Grind out to leave, there was always going to be something that you know was it, mm. another chapter to the story. So. Um, yeah, it was just relief when it, when the siren went, and then obviously you know the, the emotions kicking of you know something you've yeah. been trying to achieve your whole life, and uh, as a kid you dream of, and, and so forth, and then you know it's happened, so it sort of takes a while to sink in. I bet. Quinton Lynch is our special guest in this episode of Inspiring Stories. We're going to take another break. I want to ask you about uh, the famous glove. After that, uh, and then of course we still have to cover your uh, your migration east. Uh, to uh, to Collingwood, after whisper that quietly. All that uh, still to come on inspiring stories. Thanks to Baron O'Day and eight eighty two six BR. Back with more soon. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is inspiring stories with Tim McMillan on eight eighty two six BR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. We are with the Eagles champ Quinton Lynch in this episode. Quinton, we've just finished up with the 2006 uh, Premiership, which was uh, an emotional time for all West Coast Eagles fans, I think, after the two years of, of, of tussle between you guys and Sydney. And a great year for you personally, uh, kicking 65 goals and being the club's uh, leading goal kicker in that year. Such a stellar lineup, though, wasn't it? Um, you know, not take nothing away from you, but you, were, you had some pretty good people... Uh, around you who were giving you some pretty good service. Yes, you know, if you look back at that team, you look through the midfield, it's probably yeah. go down as one of the greatest midfields to win the grand final, probably. You know, yeah. Um, Cousins, Kerr, Cox, um, you know, yeah. Michael Braun, they're big names and, and blokes that hold their own in any any of the great teams. So, yeah. Yeah, I was pretty blessed to be standing in the goal square waiting for the ball to come out of the middle with blokes like that running around. Yeah. Tell us about the glove. It became a, a source of controversy. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and other things uh, over over many years. Uh, people thought it was maybe a little bit of showboating on your part or, or, or perhaps even giving you an unfair advantage at times. Yeah. What's it, the story behind the glove? Uh, well, I always wore gloves for a long time um, and then I actually really injured a finger. So um, it became a, really a medical necessity to wear it because I couldn't uh, strap my fingers together. So um, I used to web the last two of the fingers together on the glove so I could um, you know my little finger was pretty much fed and lopped off um, so it was you know people can think what they like but uh, it, it did serve a purpose and then you obviously went through the stages where they thought it was unfair advantage well um, they weren't banned if everyone wanted to use them they could um, but uh, yeah it did get a lot of fanfare the glove it was never meant to be that way um, I just didn't like kicking with it hence the reason I took it off yeah um, but it, uh, it for some reason yeah Got a bit of notoriety, but uh, for me it was uh, just something that was part of my my usual process. Or yeah, you know, I went about things and 
um, as I said, the back end of my career, it was it was there for medical purposes, really. And a little bit of um, theatre too. Sometimes at the game, you know, if you were a fair way out from goal and the glove came off, <laughs> everyone knew you're going to have no, a crack. Sure. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was a bit <laughs> of a giveaway, wasn't it? Uh, and also later in my career, I had to stop throwing it on the ground because to try and find a trainer because I. Few opposition teams that used to grab it and try and throw it over the fence. So, um, little, little things like that that people might not know. But uh, yeah, it all, always, any uh, any names you can. I divulge? can't remember. I know, I know someone from Essendon did one day and got it over the fence in the crowd. But um, <laughs> someone, one of the other boys, just picked it up and threw it away from me. So yeah. Um, but yeah, it was always a bit of fun. So your little finger was that busted that if you didn't have that glove, basically holding it against the the, the fourth finger next to it. Yeah, it, it, what it would have been just sort of hanging there, or oh well, it's just off it, on an angle, or it's off on about a forty-five degree angle, so you sort of can't tape it together because it pushes out the, my fourth finger out the way, so it's sort of just got to have a webbingness just so it doesn't um, get me further. And uh, obviously broke it a couple of times and never had it fixed, and it just got worse and worse. And yeah, um, yeah, it's it's all right now. I don't play footy, but uh, yeah. when I was playing back then, it used to hurt a fair bit because it was still you know I used to sprain it probably once a day or once a game. Really. Mm. And so broken it twice during footy games? Yeah, no, it was training actually and got it caught in uh, Dean Cox's jumper when we were doing some ruck contests. And that was, <laughs> I, I remember, the, well, that was the time it finished it off completely. Yeah, um, I can't really remember the first time I broke it. And as I said, I, I never got it fixed. So uh, yeah. it, once I didn't get it fixed, it was never going to be any good. I remember reading a comment from you when I think people were suggesting maybe that the, the adhesive properties of the gloves gave you an extra advantage uh, in obviously trying to grip the ball. And you said, well, if it if it's that sticky if, as you're making out, then I wouldn't be able to drop the ball down on, onto my boot uh, to kick it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. You know, there is, there was late, late in my career, even when I went to Collingwood, we did have some gloves come over from the US um, that they were using in the NFL, and they were pretty much that sticky, the ball wouldn't come off them, and I could see why. Well, you couldn't really wear them because you literally the balls, yeah. It just it wouldn't like fully like stick stick, but it just the, your timing was always out when you're kicking. So, yeah, um, yeah. That, but the ones I got, honestly, you could buy them from Bunnings, so <laughs> they were uh, yeah, they weren't that good. Let's get, let's fast forward to uh, towards the end of your uh, Eagles days. Um, you had one year left uh, on a a deal with the Eagles that you you could have played on an extra year. That that offer was there. Uh, but you were also in a position where you could uh, seek out other offers or, or, or be approached by other clubs. Talk us through that time in your career. Yeah, I didn't have a year running. Like they'd offered me another year. They, they'd offered you a year. Yeah, a, a so I didn't have a year to come, yeah. and that was the first year of um, uh, free agency. So yeah. um, I was at the age where I could. I was a totally unrestricted free agent, yeah. um, so I could seek other deals, and the Eagles just put a one-year deal onto me, and I'd... You, know, t- you would have been 29. Yeah, and I, I truly believe that I was, I deserved more than one year contract. Yep. Uh, so I seeked other opportunities, and um, uh, you know, in, in the end, decided to move and uh, over the over the east, and end up being the first free agent signed. Actually, you went down in history. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, Collingwood, of course, was your destination in the end, but uh, it, it might have been. Carlton, they also put a pretty strong offer to you. Yeah, it was it was between the two of them, and uh, I probably had some. You know, initially I really wanted to go to Carlton just because my old mate Juddy was there, and I'd love to have played a couple more years with him. Um, and so they put an offer on the table, and but uh, Collingwood's one was you know too good to refuse, and uh, you know totally 
never will ever regret my decision to go there and mm. totally enjoyed my time there and yep. got to be part of you know a really really successful big footy club which yep. was um, an eye opener. Uh, going from uh, from West Coast to to Collingwood in terms of the uh, the training setup and the staff there and the coaching ethos and and just the the history of the club. How, how do you compare the two? Yeah, it's it's a question commonly asked, and I sort of look back at it now and go that the. Obviously, the both clubs are very big, you know, Collingwood and the, over there and the Eagles here. In, uh, in terms of off-field stuff, they're probably as big as each other. Um, but the, the thing that Collingwood had was just steep in history, you know. It's such mm. an old footy club and, you know, um, this is something the Eagles are building towards. And the Collingwood was – the club was probably running a little bit more like a footy club, I, th- I felt like, compared to the Eagles, maybe a little bit more business-like. Um, the Eagles more business-like? Yeah, yeah. yeah like, so the, um, that's the sort of comparison I would say to it. But, yeah. Um, uh, other than that, they you know, uh, well the training facilities Collingwood had then they'd just moved into the into the Holden Centre, um, so they were amazing. Like yeah, they were f- top of the range, um, which obviously the Eagles are looking at doing now, moving to their new ones. So that was an upside. But um, training in that wise was all you know, footy training, footy training was all pretty similar. But uh, yeah, just this the way the clubs were run were probably a little bit different. That's about it. Yeah, and obviously you had an opportunity to also play uh, in the forward line with Travis Cloak. Another pretty big unit uh, on paper. You guys were pretty formidable. Yeah, on paper, unfortunately, it didn't correspond onto the ground as much as we all would have liked. You know, um, you know, Travi was a great player and a really great player for Collingwood, and I was hoping we could sort of work really well together, but um, probably didn't all go to plan. And you know, I played a lot of footy in my first year there, and, and then yeah. sort of got dropped to the back end of that year and was struggling for form. Uh, and then didn't start the year in the ones in my second year, and then you know, unfortunately broke my leg about three yeah. games into the year, which sort of really put it into my mm. my AFL ambitions. Really, uh, on a personal level, though, um, you obviously had uh, a young family at the time. What was that like having to uproot from here and and relocate over to there, and and you know going to Melbourne, the, the home of of the game, where it's so tribal over there, and people just talk about it. From the first thing in the morning to the last thing at night, it, it's just it's a different world, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you're spot on about that. Um, yeah, it was it was interesting. You know, the wife and, and having the wife and the two kids, they were really open to the idea of moving over there. Probably the hardest thing we had to do was leave a business that we were just taking on from our in-laws. Um, so we sort of dropped them. We still sort of ran up from over there as well, but it still did all the bookwork and so forth. So that was probably the hardest bit. But the actual the excitement of the move was, you know, something my wife was looking forward to. Uh, it was pretty tough the first six months for her, um, obviously with two kids and probably going away from a really close set of friends and family. But, you know, after you know meeting some you know good friends over there, that got a lot easier. Um, but the, the whole thing about going over there and you don't, as a West Australian, you, you know footy's big in Victoria, but until you get over there and get amongst it, you just don't understand how big. They, yeah. As you said, they live, eat and breathe it yeah. um, all day, all year. It doesn't matter what time of the year. Mm. Still, it's all footy. And that was never more evident than the day I was... Uh, driving to one of my first training sessions, I stopped the set of traffic lights on St Kilda Road, and in my banged up old car with not even we didn't even have Victorian plates on it, and some bloke saw me through the window and you know said you know welcome to Collingwood, and I was like, you know, how does this bloke even know who I am? <laughs> so um, that was sort of stuck thick with me and you know, yeah. showed how big footy is over yeah. there, and um, yeah, it's amazing how much they love it, and yeah, it was good, really good to get a part of amongst it actually. You obviously had a a fair number of uh, Western Derbies under your belt. Um, and, and this might be a, a controversial question to ask given given where we are in our audience here. But if you had to compare a Western Derby in terms of atmosphere to, say, 
Collingwood Carlton in front of really twice the, the number of people at the G. How, how would you compare the two? Yeah, obviously the Eagles and the Dockers don't like each other much at all. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, Western Derby's are a big day. <laughs> but I was yeah, lucky enough to play in one Carlton-Collingwood yeah. game. Uh, my second game. It was my second game at Collingwood, actually. And uh, we were down all day and we hit the front about halfway through the last quarter, I reckon it was. And I, it was about 90,000 um, people there. Um, and I've never, ever heard, even when I played in the grand final, I've never heard the ground louder. It was Is that right? Frightening. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, obviously, it just comes down to uh, length of tradition and time of the games yeah. being getting played. You know, so over 100 years, Collingwood and Carlton have been facing off. So, um, and they actually really hate each other. So, mm. Um, <laughs> it's genuine hate. Yeah, it was. It's genuine hate. So um, yeah, it was. Uh, that was. I, I'll never forget that day in my whole life, and, and it was one you know, that memory of the crowd when we hit the front was yeah, electrifying. I bet. We need to take another break. Quentin Lynch uh, is our special guest. Uh, we'll wrap up uh, your playing days and find out what you've been up to uh, in the years since. But I, I want to ask you about the moment that uh, you broke your leg. Uh, that's all coming up on Inspiring Stories on eight eighty two six BR. Back with more soon. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, we are hearing the inspiring story of Quinton Lynch uh, in this episode. Quinton, uh, just talk us through the, the final stages now of your time at Collingwood. Obviously, the broken leg. Uh, really hastened the the end of your career, didn't it? Um, c- can you remember the moment that uh, you know that it happened, and and were you fully aware of how bad the injury was? Um, yeah, definitely remember the moment it happened. I was playing out at Windy Hill on a, the day before Anzac Day against Essendon, actually. So yeah, it's, it was an innocuous incident, um, just in a ruck knock, and the opposition ruckman just kneed me in the side of the leg in the calf. Yeah, um, I just sort of had a corky, uh, tried to stand up, went to the next ruck knock, or hobbled to it because I sort of had cork in my calf. And as I went to push off, I just collapsed and I uh, yeah, felt a fairly big grind in my in the side of my leg. So Which was bone, bone yeah, rubbing on bone. Spiral, yeah. There was a spiral fracture in there. So I knew straight away that it was broken and um, it went to the bench and the doctor sort of pushed on it and made a pretty interesting noise. So he said, yeah, I'm pretty oh. sure it's broken. Um, so, yeah, I knew that from that point onwards it was going to be a long road back. Um it didn't go to plan. I got a plate put in it. And, uh, got a lot of nerve damage from when the plate went in. And uh, instead of being a sort of a, hoping to get back in six or seven weeks, it took about 13. And mm. um, that was coming back under a lot of duress too, with a fair few painkillers. But I was determined to make sure that I got back. I never knew I was, I knew I was probably going to play another game of AFL, but I really wanted to get back and just play a game of um, VFL with uh, mm. young folks and, and just finish off my career playing and not sitting on the sidelines. Yeah. Uh, the, the injury itself? Um, what was that diagnosed as? A spiral fracture? Yeah, I just had a fracture. Was so it, the, the fibula, the, the, the little one on the outside. So it's not the weight-bearing bone. Well, they say it's not weight-bearing, but trust me, it does take some weight. <laughs> um, so, yeah, had a had a spiral fracture and about a couple of centimetres long. So yeah. it's fully broken through and yeah, got it plated to obviously try and you know, increase the recovery or decrease the recovery time, but mm. yeah, it didn't go to plan. And that plate's still in there now? Still in there now with the four screws, and I can feel every one of them. Really? Sore on a cold day, do you, do you feel it more, you know, when you 
you wake up and you're a little bit uh, stiff and sore? No, I think there's other things that are stiffer and sore than my legs. So, no, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's okay. It, does, it hasn't caused me any grief at all. Really. I've played a lot of footy since then, and um, the only time it has actually hurt is if I've been kneed on the exact plate, yeah. and that's more when the, where the screws are. So you can, you can still actually push on your leg and feel the screws Yeah, there. they're still all sticking out there, yeah. Do you, would you take it out one day? No, nah, never. It's, not, it's there not forever. The amount of damage that they did putting it in. You know. <laughs> oh, just a nerve pain or something. You know, if anyone's had nerve pain, you'd know. But something else. Yeah, you just can't mm. get. You just can't. You can't control. Mm. So, um, no, it's fine in there. Thanks. And and the whole rehab, obviously, you know, you're battling a, a physical injury there and trying to rehabilitate yourself physically. What what, what about the the mental space you're in at that moment as well? Um, yeah. Look, I um, I just really knuckled down and you know. Pretty much because I had a plate on it, didn't have to have a cast, and I was back in the gym the next week. Um, yeah, you know, just wanted to be upbeat around the young kids at, the, at Collingwood, and, and and I just I just trained all day pretty much. All I did, I couldn't I couldn't run run or anything, but I used to just cross train probably um, two hours a day and do weights for another hour. So I got really 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 skinny and fit while I was, while I was in there, and uh, yeah, um, which in the end probably led to showing a lot of the young boys around Collingwood, you know, you know what it's like to you know. You, you know, I think if you ask them, I showed them a little bit about you know the mentality you've got to have to want to become an AFL player and, and mm. make sure if you are injured, get in the back and, and staying in shape. So yep. um, I learnt a lot from that myself. And obviously it was that time I was also started to think about coaching because I started helping out in the box at VFL and, and helping the young boys around the club. And that's probably when the little bug I got for coaching took off. Yeah, and it continues uh, to flourish, uh, the coaching bug. Because you've uh, you, you've got a coaching role at the moment. Tell us about uh, the the post football coaching career of Quinton Lynch. Yeah, so as soon as I left Collingwood, I um I got a phone call from over here from an amateur club to come and coach and play, which I took up and did that for two years at Trinity Aquinas. Then I just played for a couple of years, but then uh, sort of stopped playing full time last year and was um, due to the fact that I got the job coaching Aquinas College, my old yep. school, um, which is the job that I've had my eyes on since I finished footy or even when I was playing footy or something I always wanted Back to Back to where it all began really. Exactly and uh, you know it's, the, it's a really good job I get to coach young kids that really want to play and get better and, and mm. learn and um, yeah lucky enough to walk into a side last year that was laden with talent and win an Elko Cup um, at it again this year with uh, with four four and one so far and had a, had a pretty decent loss to a very good team from Hale so uh, hopefully we get to uh, right the ship later in the year, but um, you know I love the job, I love being back in my old school, and you know, I love the challenge it brings. You know, week to week, um, coaching and moulding together, to, you know, twenty three young men, um, you want to learn and get better. Yeah, I've seen your your name pop up as well, also on the uh, the speaking circuit a little bit in a in a business environment. You were talking about some of the things that you could take away from football and apply uh, to business. Um, obviously, you've had that experience with your wife's uh, family clothing shop. Um, what are the lessons that you uh, that you think you can take from one or the other? Um, oh, just work ethic is the main one. I, yeah. I reckon um, that's the probably the biggest one. If I'm ever trying to tell people, um, you know, or they ask what you know, what can you take out of footy? And I think uh, and, and and regimentation. Obviously, being a football player is um, very regimented these days, and, and sometimes that can be a good thing, and sometimes not so good. Um, but yeah, for the work and business environment, you know, like just you know, I'm, I'm big on work, you know, working hard, and you know, good things come to people who work hard, and, and then there's little things like regimentation, like making sure you go to meetings on time, and mm. some people take that <clears throat> the simple things, yeah, for granted. <laughs> but um, you know, they coming out of the AFL, and especially when I was at the Eagles, if you were five minutes late to a meeting, uh, you know, Wusha would just 
have you on toast. So yeah. you never were late. So that was just just little things like that. I think um, really resonated with me that I've gone now. I've gone into you know, the real world of working full time. And insurance broking as well is, is another another thing that you do. Yeah, so I'm a full time insurance broker, GSK Insurance Brokers up in Belmont. Um, obviously, my boss I've known you know, since the start started playing footy. He's a really good family friend of my in laws, and sort of a few months out from me um, finishing footy. Obviously, I had a broken leg, and he sort of mentioned to my father-in-law was interested, and so I went down to GSK at uh, February of 2015, and uh, I'm still there, so four and a half years later, and really enjoying my job there. And just to finish off, a couple of uh, just rapid-fire footy questions. Uh, the toughest opponent you played on? Always say Leo Barry. He was uh, undersized, but always gave me a run for money, and obviously going through that era of playing against Sydney in those real tight games, it was always a, always a tough job. Best player? You ever saw on the park, or either played with or played against? Uh, I still think Juddy's probably one of the best I've ever played with and, and watched and against. Player you love to beat the most? Uh, I always liked trying to beat Luke McFarlane because he was obviously at the top. <laughs> I didn't have a very good derby record, and he was he was one of my other toughest opponents. So I did go to, go to take the colours on him once or twice. Best goal. I always go out to the one I kicked in the grand final because how crucial it was. Uh, long 50 metres out on the boundary. Favourite football memory? Uh, winning the grand final. Okay. Easily. Eagles or Collingwood? Uh, Eagles. Good man. <laughs> Quentin Lynch, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. Appreciate it. And good luck with all of your uh, post-football interests, the coaching, the business, the insurance broking. Uh, we look forward to seeing what you get up to in the in the years to come. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Everyone has a story to tell. This one brought to you by Bower and O'Day. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA inspiring story. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Bower and O'Day. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.